Welcome to the Her Holistic Path podcast for women awakening to their spiritual journey, mothers looking to heal and live holistically, and all in between. This is where spirit and science collide to deepen, refine, and even challenge what it means to be a divine feminine being. Let's journey together. Peace and wholeness. Today we are talking about home birth because since Corona has hit, since we've been in this pandemic, so many people who would have thought home birth was crazy or even irresponsible or only for country people (laughs) have considered home birth and have had home births. And so I wanted to take the time today to explain why it's beneficial to have a home birth whether we're in a pandemic or not. Because the reality is there are so many benefits to having your baby at home and avoiding the hospital. And we're going to go through those benefits today. Now, the first half of this episode, we're going to chat about home birth. The second half of this episode, I want to share a short little home birth doula story that kind of sums up some lessons and has some great takeaways and then there will be an exclusive podcast episode for February going into detail about why home birth is extremely safe. We're going to get into some research studies, look at some statistics and really break down the numbers. So if you're planning a home birth or if you're maybe trying to convince someone to have a home birth, then definitely go over to patreon.com slash her holistic path. I will leave the link in the show notes. So let's get into it. Number one, benefits of home birth. You won't have to leave your home during a very intense experience. Now, this is kind of self-explanatory, but As a culture, we are so used to seeing images of women going to the hospital in the car. We literally see these images in TV shows, in movies. And from a young age, this has become normalized for us. But to be going through such an intense mental, physical, spiritual, emotional experience and then go out into the public... It's quite jarring. Um, In my birth personally, I felt so exposed, um, not just physically, more so on a energetic level. Um, I remember walking through the parking lot in tears, feeling completely out of my body. Um, My eyes, I think, were completely shut. (laughs) And... You know, I'm just walking up to the door and it was like I'm in a whole nother world. And it actually it actually makes me think about when people go in to do certain types of ceremonies like ayahuasca or what's another one? Like the uh, the one where they like prick you in the arm with some sort of like a frog blood or something I can't remember but (laughs) there are certain rituals and spiritual ceremonies that are done 
and you ingest something that will basically take you out of your body um, and into the spiritual realm. And when these ceremonies are done, they're done in closed quarters with someone who can guide you and essentially kind of hold the space and kind of protect you, creating a safe space. Not Well, not a safe space, but just holding a space. And I think of it like that. It's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't take like ayahuasca and then just like go walk outside like or not walk outside but just like go get in the car and drive somewhere it's like no this is a ritual this is a ceremony stay seated stay in this safe space stay in this safe zone and so I liken it to that you know you're going through this kind of rites of passage and it's so intense and you could be crying and throwing up and pooping and peeing and releasing amniotic fluid. And in the middle, in the midst of all of this, you're just supposed to like go get in the car and go to the hospital and just like be out in the public amongst strangers and strange energy. So I think it's highly beneficial that you don't have to leave the home. Number two, you don't have to bring your newborn baby outside shortly after being born especially especially if you live in a cold climate once again speaking from experience I had my first baby in the middle of a blizzard (laughs) and I'm not exaggerating it was 2016 if you want to go and look it up January 2016 Maryland blizzard okay it was so much snow It was ridiculous. Thankfully, she had timed it so that she came in right as the blizzard was beginning. But if I had had her literally a few hours later or even a day later, just one day, we would have been snowed in. We would have been stuck at the birth center. And it would have been real weird (laughs) just being snowed in at the birth center with only like this little bag that we packed and no food except from, you know, fast food places and stuff, which probably wouldn't deliver in the middle of a blizzard. But I digress. It's really nerve wracking. I don't know if it's just me, but it's nerve wracking to put a little teeny tiny newborn baby that's like fresh out of the womb. Like you can still smell that womb on them a little bit. It's a little nerve wracking to put them into a car seat, and then drive. And I think this is why most mothers instinctually get in the back seat with their, new, with their newborn um, when they're making that drive home. Because it's like, it just feels like, oh, this feels so weird <laughs> that you're like all the way in the back seat. And again, like I've, I've done this twice. I'm not dogging anybody. Um, but I do see this as a benefit that you don't have to take your baby out of the house and in some cultures the mother and the baby don't leave the house after the baby is born period nothing no reason (laughs) zero zip nada you're staying in the house for like the first 40 days or the first six weeks or the first few months you're not leaving and it feels like yeah we should be in our little safe home environment So if you have your baby at home, you don't have to go nowhere. 
shortly after. This also means for you, you know, as the mother, you don't have to feel like, all right, let me get up and put all my clothes on and get myself together and get myself presentable to go out into the world when I'm still so open and bleeding. And yeah, again, it's one of those energetic things where it just, it feels too open to be out in the world just yet. You kind of want to cocoon yourself in your home. And I actually have a recent client who had a home birth and she kind of looked around like after the birth and was like, okay, well, we're already home. So this is nice. You know, we don't have to (laughs) pack up and go home. So number three, being at home creates a feeling of safety and security, which helps the body to create more oxytocin. Oxytocin being the hormone that causes contractions and plays a huge role in the birthing process. Now, this is one of the big, big benefits of home birth that I feel like is majorly downplayed. And I think we haven't really, we haven't really seen how huge it is in the hormonal cocktail to be at home. So just to explain a little bit about oxytocin, it's what you release when you are in labor. It's also what you release when you're breastfeeding and it's what you release when you are having an orgasm or having sex. So this hormone is clearly a hormone that releases during intimate times, times of biological intimacy. So just to... To take yourself out of the home kind of signals or does signal to the brain that, okay, you're not necessarily in danger because you leave your home, but you certainly aren't in your like ultimate safe place. You know, when people are thinking about a safe place to go, you know, not everybody, some people have, you know, stressful circumstances at home but typically people think of their home environment as their safe zone you know if someone's chasing you (laughs) you're gonna run home you're not gonna run like to work (laughs) and so I think mentally you have created a pattern in your mind that says okay home is safe We want to have baby in a safe place. Okay, let's have baby at home. And this is how people end up having accidental home births because you're super relaxed. You're super chilled out. And before you can even realize like, oh, let me go to the hospital. Your body's already like super chilled out. Like, yeah, we're good. We're relaxed. We're having, let's have a baby right now. (laughs) Whereas when you go to the hospital, I mean, outside of having a baby, people only go to the hospital unless something is physically wrong, not physically right. Like no one's going to the hospital because they're like, I feel good. Let me go to the hospital. (laughs) No. And so even then there are neural pathways in your mind saying, you know, hospital equals 
X, Y, and Z, whatever you want to insert, sickness, illness, death, you know? And me personally, I've seen people have strong, rhythmic, like well-established active labor. And then you get to the hospital and things kind of slow down. It's like, hmm. Sometimes it feels like the body is going like, wait, why are we here? We were in our safe space. We felt good. We felt okay to be vulnerable and release this very, you know, precious, delicate baby into the environment. Why are we in this foreign environment? And the environment is cold and it has bright lights and beeping machines and all these different voices and You know, don't underestimate the power of your mind taking all of those things into consideration. So the fourth benefit of home birth is that home birth tends to have less interventions even when the birthing person has to be transferred to the hospital. Yeah, this is, again, top of the list benefit. A lot of people hand me birth plans that say, I don't want no hep lock. I don't want no IV. I don't want no IV fluids. I don't want Pitocin. I don't want vaginal exams. Uh, What's some more? I don't want continuous fetal monitoring. I don't want to be stuck in the bed. I don't want to push on my back. And I look at these types of birth plans and then I look at my client and then I look back at the birth plan and I look back at my client and I'll be like, so it looks like you want to have your baby at home. (laughs) did you know did you notice that because this looks like an excellent home birth plan right here and it's crazy how people don't even consider it um and now what I'm coming in contact with more is people who are willing to fight for the birth they would have had easily at home in the hospital Hey there, popping in to say that if you are enjoying this podcast episode, I would so appreciate it if you could leave me a review. It really pushes the momentum of this podcast forward. And in all honesty, it gives me the encouragement and the boost of confidence that I need to keep moving forward. You know, sometimes you just got to tap the mic and say, is this thing on and get a little feedback from the audience. So in your review, let me know what you loved about this episode, and a topic that you're interested in hearing next. And as a way of saying thank you, I'd love to offer you a discount off of my Her Holistic Birth Guide using the code EXPAND, E-X-P-A-N-D. All right, back to the episode. Let me say that again. People are more willing to fight at the hospital to get the birth they would have easily gotten at home. Because... It's just that deep. The programming is just that deep that we can say it's almost like going to a restaurant, like going to Chick-fil-A and being like, I know I'm at Chick-fil-A, but I want y'all to cook me a burger. And I want y'all to get me a Slurpee with that. And along with that, I want some onion rings. And I'm going to stand here. And I'm going to fight for this until y'all bring it out to me. It's like, that's not what we do. We're Chick-fil-A. We literally don't do burgers. We literally don't do onion rings. We just don't do that here. That's not our specialty. 
And someone on my Instagram live says something really poignant and, you know, in relation to this. And it was this. Natural birth is out of an OBGYN scope of practice. I didn't say it, she did. Because <laughs> some of y'all might be offended by that. Some of y'all might be like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> and I know it's kind of a jarring thing to hear, like, because of course, there is that small percentage of OBGYNs who do have a level of understanding about natural birth and are able to support women a little bit better when it comes to natural birth. But the vast majority, if we look at how OBGYNs are trained and how they are prepared through medical school and residency to attend birth, they hardly ever see, I don't think, they, they may not at, ever see an undisturbed normal physiological birth. As in a birth at home or a birth in the hospital where, you know, no one is picking, prodding, poking, where none of that is happening. So I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of sum it up. Like if you're going to go to the hospital, you're going to get what the hospital specializes in. Hospitals don't specialize in natural birth. And I think that sounds a little bit more accurate. Right. A hospital does not specialize in natural birth. If it did, when you walk in, the lights would be dim. All of them. <laughs> they wouldn't be asking you a whole bunch of questions when you get admitted. They wouldn't force you to stay on the monitor for hours on end. They wouldn't tell you what position to get in to push. They would just let you push in whatever position you're already in. But the hospital labor and delivery system is built to literally, and I'm not saying this as a metaphor, literally, it was built to replicate, to, to mirror, to be just like the industrial system. So the way that these um, factories build phones, the way that they build cars, the way that they build um various products that we have today in a factory one person does this one person does that and the the product just goes down the line when you enter into the hospital system it's a pipeline it's an industrial complex so first you come in here you do this and the next person does this and the next person does that and it was based on the, you know, industrial revolution. So just to sum that up, by avoiding the hospital, what you are avoiding is that pipeline of interventions that every person gets, regardless if it's evidence-based, if it's what that person actually needs. A good example of this is when you go to the hospital, most people get some form of like a HEPLOC or IV. A lot of people get IV fluids, right? Then you get 
either continuous or intermittent monitoring, a lot of times the monitoring is continuous. I had put a post up on Facebook to ask like, who works in a hospital in L&D and can tell me how many people are getting monitored continuously the whole time throughout their labor? And one of, one of this, these nurses that I know, she said, yeah, most people who come in here get continuous monitoring. That's wild. That means most people at the hospital that she works at are literally hooked up to a machine via a wire their whole labor. Their entire labor. And one intervention easily leads to the next and to the next and to the next. That's called the cascade of interventions. And yeah, when you're at home, a lot of that doesn't come into play because midwives are taught to intervene only when necessary. Most midwives, you know, not medwives. But you're not getting any needles in you unless it's absolutely necessary, unless it's an emergency. We're not going to stick a fetal monitor on you throughout your whole labor and be pulsating ultrasonic you know, waves into your belly to your baby, your whole labor. So, and then even when people transfer to the hospital, a lot of times they're going for a specific reason, right? They're going for maternal exhaustion or because they want an epidural or because of baby's positioning. So they can go in with a very specific focus that kind of helps the hospital staff, not always, because sometimes it, you know, it can be hard to transfer from home to hospital. But sometimes you go in there and you're very clear, like we are here because X, Y, and Z, and this is what we need. And you can get that thing. Um, so yeah, move on. moving on to number five. Home birth can be a more convenient option for people with a history of fast or what is called precipitous labors. (laughs) A precipitous labor is basically characterized by, you know, like an hour long labor, 30, 45 minutes, super fast. Like there's no buildup. It's just boom, baby's coming down. And so if you have a history of like even... Just like being in labor for like five hours, you know, that kind of range, five, four hours, three hours. It's like, oh, next baby, next time you have a baby, you might not make it to the hospital. You may be that person who has the baby in the car. (laughs) And I want to tell a story about that um, as soon as we finish going through this list. But. You know, it's like, do you want to have your baby in your house or your car? (laughs) Or like, I even saw this one lady who had her baby literally like on the doorstep of the birth center in the parking lot. And to me, it's like, that's, you know, again, not shaming it, not saying this is how that mother feels. But if you asked her, like, would you have maybe felt a little bit more comfortable at home 
home or in the parking lot, she'd probably say at home, you know? Because, I mean, yeah, it's a cool, wild, amazing birth story, but also, like, you're literally ass out in the parking lot birthing your baby, which, again, if we go back to the spirituality of birth, you know, that's such an open and vulnerable moment. (laughs) So open. So open. And it's so sacred. And I think part of birthing in the hospital is extracting that sacredness, that ritual, that spiritual aspect out of the birthing process. And of course, some people are still going to experience it regardless, right? Because life is not cut and dry like that. For me, my hospital birth was very, (laughs) I wouldn't call, of course, every birth is sacred, but it, it was very spiritual for me. Um, but would I have preferred to be in the house? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, another benefit is that you know where everything is and you don't have to adjust to a new environment. So this is big for like simple things. I want my socks on. I want my juice out the refrigerator. I want my pillow that's on the bed on the right hand side. You know, birth is all about getting to a point of ultimate relaxation so you can ultimately surrender. But in order to do that, you have to be comfortable in your environment. And I think, again, this is why hospital births can be so strenuous. I think the same people who go into a hospital and are there with these long labors and, you know, these painful labors could probably be having a lot more comfortable experiences in their home. And you can just feel more comfortable in your home. Like something as simple as taking your shoes off. I remember the first time I went to a home birth, I got to the door and I took my shoes off. And I was like walking around, you know, doing the doula thing. And I was like, yo, this is what it feels like to be a doula with my shoes off, to be planted on the ground with my shoes off and to not feel like, because right, that's part of what characterizes being in a public place, that you have your shoes on. You put your shoes on when you go out the door, when you go to a store, when you go outside, that, that characterizes, that means I'm in a public place. When you take your shoes off, that signals to the brain, like I am in a private, like, space I am in a home-like environment you know next benefit is the freedom to move around without being connected to a machine throughout labor because home birth midwives use handheld dopplers and yeah I guess I could probably do a more detailed episode about fetal monitoring but just to kind of give a quick understanding of this when you go to the hospital and they monitor your baby, they use a Doppler that straps on to your stomach. So no one's holding it in place. It's being strapped on. It's usually connected with a wire to a larger machine about two or three feet away. So this leaves you, you know, not that much wiggle room. It leaves you just enough space to get on the bed and lay down. Uh, or possibly stand next to the bed, but that's it. 
Now, <laughs> there's just so much to say. When you have this machinery strapped onto you, it is very difficult to flow with contractions. And not in the sense that you can't move at all, but again, it's a mental thing. Your mind is calculating, okay, this is how long this wire is. This is how much space I have to move. Not that much. I remember there was a point in my labor where I literally, literally leaped. (laughs) I cannot stop myself from laughing when I think about this. I leaped over the bed because I had to go to the toilet. And I like I yelped, like yelled out like, I got to get on the toilet. I got to poop. And I was leaning over the bed. I shot straight up. And I think someone was trying to block me like, no, it's the baby. Don't go to the toilet. And I literally like leaped like over the bed around them and just ran to the toilet. And this was all without conscious effort. This was all like my body was already there before my brain could even think to do it. It happened automatically. And that's the type of experience for me that proves to me it's the subtleties. Because if I had been strapped to a fetal monitor, there would have been some part of my brain saying, you can't leap and run over to the bathroom because you're connected to this thing. And it makes me wonder, what other things are we stopping ourselves from doing in labor when we're bound by these wires what type of movements what type of breathing you know it's it's really that deep y'all it really is so when you have a home birth midwife they still will monitor your baby but they use a handheld doppler and instead of monitoring you for like your whole labor or what some hospitals do is 20 minutes on the monitor 40 minutes off Instead of having that 20 minutes where you have to be still and have to be close um, to the monitor machine, the midwife will listen for 30 seconds, a minute, you know, two minutes. It's not long at all. And that's just like an estimate. I don't know the specific numbers just from what I've observed. They'll just listen while you're going through a contraction and that's it. They don't need to be listening continuously. And part of the reason why hospitals do that, again, coming back to this safety thing, people think, oh, it's safe, right? Nah, we don't have no evidence. I wish I could see my face right now. (laughs) We don't have evidence. We don't have research. We don't have statistics or numbers to prove that continuous fetal monitoring is improving birth outcomes. We don't have that because it's not. Overall, it is not improving birth outcomes. And if you have continuous fetal monitoring, you're more likely to get a C-section, more likely to get an epidural, more likely to get a maternal infection, more likely to get more interventions, period. So the birth outcome actually seems like it'll be worse with continuous fetal monitoring And you have to consider there's so many different things here. This needs its own episode, but you have to consider 
your whole pregnancy, you were walking around and nobody was monitoring you. Maybe you went to an appointment and you listened to the heartbeat for about 30 good seconds and that was it. So my question to you is, what is the baseline? What are we comparing this to? Because yeah, we know it should be between like 110 and 140 or 160 or something like that. But how do we know that for sure? How do we know that this particular baby doesn't have kind of a fast heart rate or kind of a slow heart rate or that, you know, during the sleep cycle, their heart rate is like this and not like that. We don't have a baseline because we don't monitor pregnant people throughout their pregnancy. And we don't take into consideration that before you go into labor, your baby is creating hormones and has neural development happening so that it's protected against low oxygen levels. So if their heartbeat drops, there's also this biological built-in system that protects them from harm. Now, of course, yeah, there are some babies who get harmed in the birthing process for sure. And I'm not denying that at all. But at the same time, we can't use that as our main reason to do something that's clearly not overall beneficial. And actually what's crazy is that the introduction of fetal monitoring happened as a public health screening trial, as an experiment. And it was introduced to the public without any research to back up its validity. But women were not told that. As a people, we're never told that, right? Or we're told in a roundabout way, like, yeah, we're still researching it, but it's fine. Yeah, when they introduced this whole idea of continuous fetal monitoring, it was not something that they were sure about. So... I'm harping on this because it makes such a big difference. You know, when you are hooked up to that monitor, it makes a big difference in your laboring process. Some people don't really realize how huge of an impact it has. So, okay, let me put my heart down. <laughs> the next benefit is that when you're at home, you can eat and drink whatever you want whenever you like. There are no eating and drinking restrictions. In the hospital, uh, they do tend to restrict eating and also sometimes drinking in case you get an epidural or in case you have a C-section. But again, this is outdated. We have the technology where if someone has eaten or drank something right before a, a surgery, like we can help them. They're not going to essentially vomit and die, which is where this whole thing came from. When people went under for surgeries, you know, they could be, I think the term is asphyxiate, where they could vomit if they recently ate. And because they're unconscious, they could choke and die and suffocate. Um, but the vast majority of people who get C-section today are consciously awake. So there's that part. Then also we just think about it like this. If somebody got into a car accident right after lunch, here comes the emergency. 
here comes 911. They put them in the joint. They take them to the ER. Do you think they're going to look at them and be like, wow, this person needs surgery, but can't do it because they just ate lunch? <laughs> what? What? No. But this is essentially the reason that they're telling women, like, you can't eat or drink. It's outdated. For whatever reason, it hasn't been changed. <sighs> and it's annoying. So I'm going to move on before I get too annoyed. And then last here that I have on my list is that you have privacy and you don't have to worry about strangers seeing you mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, energetically exposed. And the word that comes up for me when I talk about this is the word withholding. The idea, it's like when you're on a date with somebody for the first time and you don't really know them like that. So you don't want to like, you don't want to fart <laughs> in front of them. And even if you tried, it's like, oh, I'm just not comfortable enough to let it out for real. Like I, I kind of want to, but I can't do it because my mind is just like, no. <laughs> Same thing with peeing. Like if someone is watching you pee, it's like some people can't let it out. Now, just think for a second. If there are people on this planet who have a difficult time letting their pee out when someone is watching them, then can you imagine, just imagine how ridiculous it is for us to ask women to let their babies out when strangers are watching them. It's a whole baby. And, you know, I, I really, I really don't want to make anyone who's like, oh, I'm not uncomfortable. Like, I felt fine. I didn't care, you know, who saw my vagina. If that, if you're in that boat, more power to you. I'm not trying to demonize, you know, that, those people who feel extra free and extra comfortable, like literally more power to you. But I feel like many, 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 many people go into the hospital. They're told, okay, it's time to push. They're put on their back. Their legs are up in stirrups. All of a sudden there's five, 10 people in the room between five and 10 people in the room. Their vagina is completely exposed. Sometimes they're breasts. Sometimes they're fully naked. And everyone else is fully clothed. You know, shoes, socks, belts, face masks now. And I think to myself, how uncomfortable and strange of an experience must it be for all of these strangers to come stare at your naked body while you're birthing your baby? Now, because of hormones and because of the exhaustion of labor, most women at that point are like, whatever. But I have had a few people, a few clients who are like, dang, like everybody saw me naked. Like, dang. like, And I knew that under that dang was really like, that was highly uncomfortable. Highly uncomfortable. And these are the conversations Again, because for some people, this translates to trauma. Especially when you don't see it coming. That's my thing. 
you know, nobody's having these real conversations with mothers in their prenatal visits. Like, by the way, you know, when you start pushing the baby out, we're going to click a little button and it's going to go from just one nurse in the room to a nurse, an OB, a baby nurse, like two or three students. And we will huddle around you, turn the lights on and stare at your vagina while you push your baby out. It's like, (laughs) I want to cuss so bad right now. (laughs) I just want to like say a string of cuss words, but it's like, yo, people need to be told that because some people already have pre-existing sexual trauma, but for some people that in and of itself is a little traumatic, but they will never admit that it's traumatic because we make it normal because we say, oh, it's fine. It's the doctor. They see vaginas every day. It's not fine if the person doesn't feel like it's fine. And I think that a lot of people don't feel like it's fine, but they just don't want to talk about it, don't want to say it, or feel that it's been normalized in some way. Um, But there's no other time where you would just like have something coming out. Like it's almost the equivalent of being butt naked and having sex in front of a group of strangers, which in 2021 actually sounds not that crazy (laughs) now that we have like OnlyFans and stuff and of course porn, but doing it in person and again in person and you don't really realize that it's about to happen. Yeah. But it brings up this idea of withholding where it's like some people again, are not going to be impacted. But I think by going into a space where you are expected to be vulnerable, but nobody else is vulnerable, everyone else is clothed, everyone else is of a sound mind, you know what I'm saying? And you're the only one that's like unraveling physically and emotionally. I think it can cause the mind to kind of withhold and the body to withhold where it's like, you know, the the mother doesn't want to completely surrender because there's, you know, like the same thing with the fart. Like I can't fully relax. It's the same thing. It's like my baby's right here, but I just can't fully relax enough to let them out. So then we, here we go with the coach pushing and the push, 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 push. But maybe if that mother had been at home and in privacy and able to fully relax and feel comfortable and feel safe, the baby would just pop right out because there's no resistance. There's no resistance. Obviously, I have, you know, some strong feelings about that last one. (laughs) So now it's time for a little doula story that I would love to share um, just to kind of encapsulate some of these examples and benefits of home birth. 